The Deal Lawyer Podcast with John Andrews, powered by JMW Solicitors. Hello and welcome to the Deal Lawyer Podcast. Uh, my name is John Andrews. And today I have the great pleasure of being joined by Emily Chamberlain of Locks Insurance Brokers. Emily is the MA Vice President. Welcome, Emily. Thank you very much for having me, John. So today we're going to be talking about warranted indemnity insurance, which is a relevant subject for anybody buying a business. Uh, just to give you a little bit of background about what warranties and indemnities are. When you're buying or selling a business, the the share purchase contract or asset purchase agreement will contain certain promises made by the seller about the business. And these promises will be in the form of uh, warranties or indemnities. Um, And if those warranties or indemnities prove to be untrue, then you can find yourselves as a seller on the end of of, of a claim for breach of contract or breach of indemnity. And it's in those circumstances that warranty and indemnity insurance can be particularly helpful. Um, so, Emily, if you don't mind me asking you, first of all, just in very simple terms, what warranty and indemnity insurance is? Yeah, thanks, John. So, warranty and indemnity insurance, in a nutshell, it's a product used on corporate transactions to cover the seller's exposure under the warranties and the tax covenant that, as you mentioned, they will give as part of the corporate sale. So, instead of the buyer pursuing the sellers for a breach of warranty, if there turns out to be one, the buyer goes against the insurance policy. So, it's a kind of tidy solution to the issue that traditionally on a corporate transaction, the sellers would remain on the hook for breach of warranty for several years after they'd sold their business. And now with this insurance, they can kind of wrap it up all on completion of the deal. Okay. So historically, when we've done deals, we've not taken this type of insurance out. Um, why, Why is it needed and why has it come to the fore lately? I wouldn't say it's needed more than it's desirable for both sides on the transaction. You know, from the seller's perspective, having that warranty risk covered by insurance effectively means there's no recourse against them. They can cap their liability at a pound, which is the norm now when you've got insurance cover and get that clean break that they want to have after selling their business. And then from the buyer's perspective, they can take comfort from the fact that if a warranty claim does arise, they can go against an insurer who's got an official strength rate, financial strength rating and a track record of dealing with warranty claims the buyer's not sitting there worrying whether they're going to need an escrow or a retention to protect themselves during the warranty period if a claim does arise okay so 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 essentially i, I guess what, what it does is it de-risks the transaction for the buyer and seller from a, a warranty indemnity point of view exactly it's not a replacement for due diligence but it uh yeah it, it it's co- it provides coverage for those unknown risks that sit within the business that the seller would otherwise be on the hook for after completion. Okay, great. And, and what sort of deals are you typically seeing this insurance taken out for? Well, originally, I think the idea and the custom came from the US. So we often see deals where one of the parties based in America, also the private equity world is very keen for deals to be supported by this kind of insurance. So that's another area where we are commonly instructed. Um, also, when the when sellers are preparing for an auction sale, that's a prime prime opportunity to staple a policy to the deal. So interested bidders know from the outset that they'll have to put a policy in place if they want to buy the target 
Or equally from the other side, if a bidder is wanting to put in a competitive bid, then including a policy as part of your bid is seen as an avenue for differentiation. So you can be seen to have that strategic advantage because the sellers are always going to go for that. It can also be very useful when a buyer is making lots of back-to-back acquisitions. They can present a kind of package to potential targets and sellers, which includes warranty and indemnity insurance. So it kind of looks nice from a presentation perspective and can help the sellers get on board. If you can go to them with a low-risk proposition for buying their business, packaged up neatly, banned by insurance, as a prospective buyer, you've then made that offer much more attractive to the sellers. Okay, and in terms of sort of value of deals that you'd you consider taking this insurance out for, is there any is there any particular market it's aimed for? Any particular value that, that that below which you can't get in cover for? Well, I mean, large transactions do lend themselves nicely to using warranty and indemnity insurance because you can normally count on the fact that they'll have a rigorous due diligence process. But with that said, there are markets that specialise in the SME space, and that is becoming increasingly competitive. So the value of the mid-market deals can be as low as three or four million, up to around fifteen or twenty million. So does that mean it's not it's not going to be valuable for for lower value deals at all? There wouldn't be any appetite in the markets for a buy side policy under three or four million as things stand. However, there is a very simple sell side policy out there which can be used for smaller business acquisitions. That kind of policy can cover deals um, upwards of say two hundred and fifty thousand. And it can cover up to 100% of that value. So your management sellers just fill out a form online and it's a much more limited underwriting process. That sort of policy would be priced at, say, £5,000 for a £500,000 deal, for example. Recourse there for the buyer would be against the seller in the first instance, instance who would then claim against the policy. Although it is poli- possible to name the buyer on the policy and the insurer can pay direct. So even on the smallest of deals, there are options to provide that comfort to the sellers that they can be covered in some way. There are exceptions to the rule, but generally speaking, I'd say there's cover available for the vast majority of transactions. So, so Emily, you mentioned there are certain exceptions to, to, to the rules when it comes to certain deals um, when you're looking to use this insurance. Could, could, you, could you expand on those? Yeah, it's largely down to the jurisdictional sector that the target operates in. So if there are global sanctions or unstable political situations, understandably, there are some territories that insurers are unable to entertain. And on a similar note, certain sectors, in particular regulated sectors like healthcare is one, insurers are cautious because of the breadth and potential quantum of the breaches of warranty there. So that's not to say that whole industries are off the table completely, but there will be a more limited market for certain regulated sectors. Okay. And I guess I guess the burning question about all of this is how much do these policies cost? It's relative to the enterprise value of the target company. So you'd normally want to get coverage for between 15 and 30%, say, of the enterprise value, uh, sometimes higher, sometimes lower. And then your premium will be within a range of, say, 0.6% to 1.2% typically. Either end of that range is dependent on the industry and the jurisdiction of the target. And then there are some minimum premiums. So for the SME transactions I've mentioned, a minimum premium for a buy-side policy might be in the region of £30,000. And then the sell-side policies for the smaller deals can come in as low as £5,000, less even. Okay. And, and who pays for the policy? Good question. It can it can be either party or they can just agree to split it 
either evenly or unevenly. It's just kind of part of the deal negotiations, which is why it's best to consider this kind of insurance early on in a transaction, ideally. It's part of the structure of the deal. Those pricing discussions are part of just part of the deal. So sometimes it depends on the context. So if a seller has stapled a policy to an auction sale, for example, a bidder might say, well, the seller can pay for the basic policy because the seller is requiring us to take out the policy, but we'll pay for any enhancements we choose to add. It's for the parties to discuss and work out between themselves. And there's no right or wrong answer on that one. Do the insurers actually pay out on claims? Yes. Well, the insurers are very keen to demonstrate to us as brokers that there are claims notifications and that they do pay out on them where there is due cause. It's their entire basis for this market. You know, they know that if there's a trend of claims constantly being rebuffed, irrespective of merit, the product is not going to last very long. It used to be the case before these policies came into being that warranty claims were extremely rare. I never saw one or even heard of one in my years of private practice. But now that these policies are in the mix, the data shows that the number of claims is increasing in line with the number of policies. I don't know if it's because it's less personal or people feel like they want their money's worth for the premium, but warranty claims are much more common now than they've ever been. Well, it's it's interesting you say that, actually, because I think in 30 years that I've been doing M&A transactions, I've only come across two warranty claims neither of which got it anywhere near court. So it's it's almost like the insurers have, have created their own claims market, essentially. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe so. But those claims are required in order for the product to be successful. You know, they, yeah. they accept that that's just part of the market. But you're right, it didn't, it didn't used to be. N- nobody wants to sue the sellers. You know, you want, that's why everybody does thorough due diligence. You get, you make sure you understand everything about the business. And they used to be quite rare. Now they're more common because of the insurance people quite like going, going against <laughs> against insurers, yeah. Which is interesting. I guess one, one of the other aspects of it, of course, was actually the, the cost of actually pursuing these claims and, and were the sellers good for the money. So I, I guess these policies take take that element of uncertainty out of the litigation, really. Exactly. Brilliant. And so I, I guess, I mean, lots of brokers rather than insurers. Um, what sort of trends are you seeing in, in, in this market currently? Well, the markets are only growing in this area. So there are new entrants to the market, new products entering the market all the time. For example, the the new um, sell-side SME product, product that I mentioned, that's relatively new. And um, the portfolio product, which streamlines the process for acquisitive clients who do deal after deal after deal, really helpful in my view. The insurers seem to be building their capabilities around IP, IT, cyber, secondaries. They're opening more and more offices globally. So capacity issues that we might have seen in the past are less of an issue now. So on the back of that, I'd say there's likely to be more appetite for a wider range of deals going forward. Okay. Well, generally when I when I do these podcasts, it, 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 it's me and Pine's knowledge that I've got to, to a wider audience. Um, I'm, I'm fascinated by, by this market, to be quite honest. It's something that I should have more knowledge of. And, and definitely following this discussion with you, I, I, I'm going to find out a lot more about. But um Thanks very much for joining us on the podcast. It's been, it's been invaluable, the information you, that you've given us. Um, and I, I hope you've enjoyed taking part. Thanks so much, John. That's very kind of you to say. Thanks for having me. And for anybody who wants to find out more information about these products, Emily, how can they get in touch with you? It's probably best if they drop me an email. My email address is emily.chamberlain at lockton.com. Thanks for listening to the Deal Lawyer podcast. Look forward to speaking to you again soon. The Deal Lawyer podcast. With John Andrews, powered by JMW Solicitors.